Welcome citizens, you're listening to New Amsterdam Radio, the podcast for creatives. Here, thinkers and doers always have a key to the city. The mayor is in, so office hours start now. New Amsterdam Radio starts now. Welcome citizens to another edition of the podcast for creatives, thinkers and doers, New Amsterdam Radio. As you can tell by my mood, I'm feeling kind of chipper. You know, sometimes we go out there and we do our creative things. We grind. It feels like we're grinding into the void. And no one really knows what we're doing. No one's acknowledging what we're doing. But maybe when you have some wins, you want to share it with your network. I, for one, have seen the largest growth in my content as far as people actually watching and checking it out, which is the one thing I always felt was the thing I couldn't get to, getting new people to check out the show. So thank you so much newer viewers, newer listeners to New Amsterdam Radio Podcast. If you want to know more about the show, newamsterdam.com. That's K-N-E-W, amsterdam.com. And engage with the show on social media at New Amsterdam on Instagram and at new underscore Amsterdam on that Twitter. A couple weeks ago, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Coach E to talk about the great sport of baseball and what does that mean to minority communities. And I am actually honored to have myself exposed to the entire community of those that love the great game. I think it's so much good stuff when it comes to baseball, and I'm a huge fan. Let's go Mets. And so being able to sit with Coach Chris this week, we took that discussion to a next level. Coach Chris is a leader in his community and has a training academy for youth in the Long Island, New York area. So just being able to sit and chat with him is something I really appreciated as we talk about what does it mean to be a fan of baseball, especially those in minority communities. Hope you guys enjoy it. And if so, let me know. You can follow me personally at Voice on Twitter and at Flobito on Instagram. But without any further ado, my talk with Coach Chris Way. Welcome back to the Ram Sam Radio, the podcast for creatives. It is I, the mayor, Flobo Voice, in the mayor's office with people who are doing the dang thing. You know, communities are something we hold near and dear to our heart. But this one, my guest, is doing it through the sport of baseball. Please welcome Coach Chris Way. How's it going, sir? Going good. How's everything? Man, I'm I'm fine, man. It's great. You know, it's a little, it's a little cold, but not like New York cold. It's LA cold here <laughs> in the mayor's office, man. It's, it's, it's a frigid 55 degrees. Yeah, it's snowing up here, and it's like below 30. You can have it. Ah, no, no, I don't want it at all. <laughs> uh, so this is kind of a product of happenstance because I recently uh, did On Deck with Coach Horton and one of our mutual friends, Jason Storm, hit me up. For those of you who are fans of the show, episode 107, the I, Jason Storm, the same Jason Storm said, hey, look, my friend Chris is doing the same thing, but differently in a cool, different way. I want to ask you this. Baseball is something that's very near and dear important to me. How did that sport become near and dear important to you? My father. So, you know, my, my whole journey with baseball, it started when I was two years old. So my father, he had me around a baseball at two, right? So okay. by the time I was four, we was outside. I grew up on the low east side of Manhattan. So we had, you know, big park, we had baseball fields, everything around. My father would take me outside and, you know, he started throwing baseballs at me, hit me with them and all this different stuff. Around like age four, my mother found out about it and she wasn't <laughs> too happy, but we kept sticking with it. And that's over time, I just developed a passion for the game. And then I have an older brother. He played as well. Um, he actually got drafted by the Montreal Expos, who are now the Washington Nationals. Right? Oh, okay. Yeah. So, you know, back then in the, you know, the 90s, he got drafted by the Montreal Expos. I think it was like 15th pick, second round, left-handed pitcher through like 90, 91. 
Yeah. So, you know, like the family, it's, it's it's like a family thing. Even my dad, he played, you know, baseball himself growing up in Georgia. So it's, it's just been in the blood since like day one. You know, just kind of like a, a, a rumor or maybe it's a, a myth about about the actual lack of players of color that are non uh, Latinos, a lot of not black Latinos playing baseball, but it was part of your family thing. I mean, uh, how was the experience like? Were you seen as an outlier with your group? It was it kind of like you had friends who played with you that were also black? Or in the so group? interestingly, like growing up on the low east side, it's like a back then it was like a melting pot. So you know, you had black kids, Latino kids, like yeah. it was, everybody was represented down the low east side. We call it the six boroughs. So it's like okay, like our own little island out there, right? So um it wasn't really foreign me being you know natural southern black playing baseball um it was real like a natural it was really like a natural thing we were really all like a bunch of athletic kids like we just did everything baseball basketball we did everything yeah uh before before ipads and (laughs) (laughs) go out and play y'all exactly flip phones and sidekick like all there it was it was I wrote, oh, my, my, my mom's, my, my aunt had one of those. It was crazy. Uh, what what was your favorite player growing up? I'm just curious. This is a sidebar. Favorite player growing up? Say it again. Favorite player growing up? Oh, my favorite, favorite player? Oh, man. Yeah. Dwight Gooden. Okay, okay. So yeah. it's funny because he, he was a legend, yeah. Yeah, so it was funny because like in, in my neighborhood, they used to call me Little Doc. Like I had oh. everything, like Dwight Gooden. Um, so like he was like one of my favorites, man. Him and Daryl Strawberry, two favorite players growing oh, up. So you're a Mets fan? I'm a Yankees fan, but I love Doc. <laughs> <laughs> I see. I had to swerve. Well, I'm a Mets fan, uh, but my favorite player growing up was Frank Thomas. I was a big hurt guy because he would come to New York and smack around the Yankees and leave. But hey, it's all. It's yeah, all okay. yeah, yeah. Yo, Frank Thomas was—he was a solid player too, man. And like yeah. on the Mets fan thing, like I, I gotta admit, I rock with the '86 team. I love okay. the Mets. Yeah, that was my team. But I, I got you. I'm a Yankee fan at heart. I, I, no, you know what? It's fair because I rock with 96. I rock with 96 because it was, it was, the city needed it. <laughs> the city needed it. Uh, but let's talk about today. Uh, I was on your Instagram, um, at ChrisWay7, and not only are you just, you're still a fan as an adult, but you're passing the game down to the next generation. And there's a whole new crop of kids who are learning the craft through you, man. Walk me through that. What's that like being the, a, a coach is so important to a kid's life. You're a coach of these kids. Yeah, it's, um, the best way I can describe it's rewarding. That's the best way I can describe it. Um, like my experience growing up, you know, once uh, I got old, like my teenage years, you know, moving out to Brooklyn, started playing for the Bonnies. Uh, and back then it was like, you know, you either play for the Bonnies, Youth Service, the Bayside Yankees, or the Long Island Tigers, right? Okay. So playing for the Bonnies, you know, a couple of the coaches that I played for, they were always, they would always instill in us, like when you get older, eventually the game finishes with you. You know, like you get too old for the game, right? But when you're done playing, it now becomes time to give something back to the game, right? Oh, okay. So baseball is a sport, I always tell people, where it get, it can give you a lot if you allow it to, right? Like baseball has taken me many places, Puerto Rico, um, Dominican Republic, a lot of places that I probably would not have had the experience of going to as a kid growing up if it wasn't for the game, right? Yeah. So in terms of me now being an adult and getting into coaching, um, you know, like even how that happened, right? It really just started out with I took my son to go work out, you know, and practice in, in the gym in January with the Bonnies, right? That's where he started. Okay. And, you know, I went from sitting in the bleachers to I'm on the gym floor helping run practice, and then like now I'm coaching the team, right? Yeah. And at first, you know, I was a little hesitant because you know back I was young back then, right? 
Yeah. So I wasn't really sure if, you know, one, I was ready to start giving something back. And mm -hmm. two, if I really had anything to give back, because I came up in a different time and it's a lot different with this generation now. Yeah. So I had to like really balance all that. How so? Well, like, you know, I, and I, I'll say it this way, I say this to my son all the time. My generation coming up as ball players, like, and it's just in general, right? We had to earn everything. Nothing was given to us. There was there yeah. was no there was no here. Here's the door to the easy road. It it wasn't there. Like there was the only way to get to it was to go through it. That was the only way. Yeah. Right. So growing up, coming up in the game with that attitude, like I was always the type of player. Like I had to always outwork everybody. Right. I wasn't like you know this overly talented kid that everybody wanted. I had to always show up early, leave late, and outwork everybody. So all I knew to be good at the game and anything was just to work and outwork everyone. With this generation, it's a little different. You know, like mm -hmm. if coaches nowadays were as hard on players as my coaches were on me, a lot of parents would be upset. Because mm -hmm. it's just, it's, it's not okay now to like really, you know, go at a kid the way some of my coaches went at me. And it, it was never nothing like, you know, abusive. It was just always designed to get the best out of us. But there's you couldn't talk to players like that nowadays because, like, I think the players are just a little too sensitive to yeah. some things. So, you know, it's it's, uh, it's it's the delivery has to change. You know, you can yeah. say it, but you got to deliver it differently. It might, <laughs> okay. it might not resonate the way that it did with me. Right, right. You know I mean? so, yeah. That... So, yeah, go ahead. No, uh, well, that to me is very interesting because a lot of people that I've talked to who are mentors, not necessarily baseball coaches, that they have very similar sentiment that I don't want to use the S word, sensitive, but it is different to get messages across or what's appropriate, what isn't. Um, has that been frustrating for you or has it been like a, a, a chance to find other ways to get the point across? Like how has that uh, impacted your way of coaching? It was a learning curve because like I said, when I first started, I was younger, right? Mm -hmm. So being younger... And like I said, coming up the way I did, I only knew one way. And I used to always tell people, like, there's only one way I know how to do this, right? So in the beginning, I wasn't really catching the cues in terms of like, okay, you know, what? it's not that what you're saying is wrong, but you got to like deliver it differently, you know, because they're not receiving it this way. So I had to really kind of like step back and really like analyze what I was saying, how I was saying it, the way I was approaching it. Yeah. Because like I was coming from this attitude of like, why can't you just do it? And it's like, well, because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and it's like I and I'm and I always say this too. I'm big on it. Like I'll I'll tell my players, like I'll say to players, like if I ever say something to you, don't ever do it because I said so. If you don't understand, ask questions. Like I want you to ask questions because that's the only way you're gonna get it, right? And don't be afraid to make mistakes because mistakes is how we learn. My thing is now, if I say you got it, if I ask you if you got it and you tell me you got it and then you mess it up, yeah, we're going to have a conversation. Yeah, you know? yeah. And that was the thing that was really kind of frustrating in the beginning. And it took time for me to realize that what it is, this generation, these players now, they're doing exactly what you tell them to do. And if they get it wrong, their response is going to be, well, I only did what you told me to do. Right. So it's like, yeah, I told you to do it, but like, <laughs> you kind of stuck because it's like, yeah, I did tell you to do it, but that's not what I meant. And it's like, yeah, well, now you got to figure out. You need when you explain it, make sure you're explaining it to them exactly the way you mean it, 
because they're gonna do exactly what you say to the T. Right. Come right. on, they're gonna say, "Hey, I'm gonna do what you told me to do, man." <laughs> like, like construction workers, hey man, it's a job. You file right. the contract. Why? Why? You so upset? Well, what I've noticed on my other one of my many other lives is that I'm I'm a shoutcaster, a commentator for video games, esports. I've been into Rocket League's my game. You can look me up as Novanta. Now kids have more options, more than anything. Colleges here in UCLA just put $4 million into an esports complex. What would be the appeal for a kid nowadays to take up traditional sports, one, and baseball, two? Well, there's so many other things happening for them. Well, so the answer to the best way I can answer that question is it's, it's about, you know, those of us from a baseball standpoint, right? Mm-hmm getting parents because i think like when you look at it it's not really so much the kid the kids are going to always want to do what's most appealing and most fun to them right so in this regard i think it comes down to us in the baseball community getting the parents and the families to understand the value of what baseball can do long term for their children um because one thing i can say is like baseball one of the things that separates it from the other sports it's not an instant gratification sport right? right So it's like with basketball, I can go out and shoot 500 jump shots right now, and I'll Mm -hmm. be that much better than the kid who's not doing it. And I can turn around tomorrow, go into a game, knock down two or three jump shots. I feel like I'm Steph Curry, right? Right. Baseball, it's a process, right? So it takes time. And, you know, there's a lot that goes into the development of a young player, and and parents aren't always patient with that process. And the parent and player both have to be patient. For them to get the most out of it right so in terms of like you know what to your point like everything that's available to them now that maybe is more fun mm-hmm. the i think the trick is getting the parents to understand how much fun this is going to be yeah when they get a little older right, right? so it's like to me i look at baseball in terms of fun in two phases starting out at four Hey, just go have fun, man. Just go kick the ball around. You know, you, you, your little young daughter, you know, go have fun, kick the ball around. Don't worry about it. you make an error, you make a mistake, no big deal. Play with the grass, throw it in the air. Great, right? Then when you get into your teenage years, it now is fun because now you can start having life experiences. You might start traveling and, and seeing different places and going different places. And, you know, depending on how that player develops, you'll start getting interest from colleges and things like that. So it, it starts picking up like, oh, man, people want me. You know, it's like, you start to feel confident about yourself. You feel good about yourself. But all that stuff takes time. Mm-hmm. Once you get to college, it's a business. You know, so it's like you got to enjoy it from like four to 18 because at 18, this thing becomes a business. Yeah. So it's about getting families to understand, you know, here's the here's where the fun is. And we got to kind of figure out along the way how serious you are about it and what are you really looking to gain from it. You know, you're looking to just have fun or you're looking to yeah. really go somewhere, you know? Yeah, yeah we had talked about that just a little earlier about the, about the drafting process and the, the late gratification. As you said, you can get signed to the NFL today and work for the NFL. But I, and I had a little anecdote that in the game, MLB The Show, my character, Storm Reyes, got signed by the White Sox. But I spent three, three years in AAA Charlotte just, just in this town uh, hitting this baseball around. It is kind of a lower, pro, a longer process for new prospects, right? Right. So, and there's, there's a historical context to it. You know, um, first, I'll say this. Baseball is a very difficult sport. Um, so it, it's a sport where kind of tying into what I just said, 
it's a process that you have to go through. It's a developmental, it's a matur maturation process, a developmental process with this game. Um, one of the biggest things that I can that I can say without getting too technical about how difficult the game is, um, hitting, right? Mm -hmm. The reason why everyone can't do it is because you know there's something called pursuit pursuit movement, right? So for what that really means, like as a hitter, hitters really don't see the ball the last 20 feet that it's traveling the home plate. Mm -hmm. so they're they're kind of you know hitting based on like a rough shot picture of what they had before everything started moving. And they're kind of guessing that the ball is going to end up in a certain location before they, you know, swing, right? Everybody can't do that. So it's hard to almost like hit a ball coming at you 90 miles an hour blind. You right. see what I'm saying? Yeah. Imagine being 18 years old coming out of high school, right? And you get drafted by a pro team. No life experience. And if you're getting drafted out of high school, you've probably been the best player on every team you've played for, right? Mm hmm or one of the better players on a team you played for. Now you're getting drafted, you're in the minor leagues, and now you're going to start struggling for the first time in your life. Yeah. How do you handle that? Quit. This, this organization, nice. Some a lot of people do, right? Yeah. This organization just invested, I don't know, a couple million dollars into you, and now all of a sudden you can't handle adversity. Yeah. You do, right? So that's part of the reason why there's like a progression to get to, you know, like the top level of Major League Baseball, right? So, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things, the historical context behind it, it's 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 a weeding out process because everybody can't handle it, right? And it's also this constant, you know, uh, search for like the cream of the crop, the best of the best, yeah. right? So if you was like the best of the best at single A, okay, do it again at double A. Best of the best, I like, do it again in triple A. So it's, it's constant proving yourself, constantly proving yourself. So, and historically, you know, it was set up that way, again, mainly as a weeding out process, you know, because like mm -hmm. I said, the game, it's a, it's a very difficult game and it like not everybody can do it at the highest level. And it's, it's, a, it's a separation because uh, again, right? So you get drafted, okay, you're playing professional baseball, but you're in the minor leagues. That's a separate league from MLB. Right, right. MILB and MLB are two separate leagues. So you got to think about it. As you get older, so like Little League, the pool of players playing is like this wide. Right. As you get older, the pool just keeps shrinking, 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 shrinking. Now you get to college and maybe about only 7% of kids that play baseball are playing college baseball between Division One to an NAIA school, right? Now, 1% of those kids are playing in the MILB, in the minors, mm -hmm. right? One tenth of one percent of the kids playing there make it to the pros. All yeah. the time, it's hard. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. And that's what that's what causes a lot of people to you know shy away from the game because you know it, a lot of people they, they, it's not worth it's not worth it. People get lost in the minor leagues. Yeah, I believe that. I believe yeah. that for sure. Uh, especially going to like because uh, the local team, the Brooklyn Cyclones, right, will have guys change over every 10 days, <laughs> every 10 days, every two weeks. So I totally it's, get you. It's the reality of it is, like, guys in the minors, like, you know, and I, I said, I posted this, I, I think I tweeted this not too long ago. Uh, everybody said they want to play pro sports, play pro baseball, right? But I said, hey, what if I told you that if you made it to the pros, you'd be on a bus, you'd be living off of a bus. There's no airplanes in the minors. You're riding on a bus, right? A cramped up bus at that, right? traveling from city to city, sometimes cross country, right? 
with very little money, none of the glitz and glamour that come with being a professional at the at the highest level, right? You know, your your meal might be a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. That's what life is in the minor leagues. They don't get paid a lot of money. Like the minor leagues, it's really about the signing bonus, right? And beyond that, like your 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 salary across the board, it's not it's not a lot of money. Mm-hmm. You know, and then when you get to if you make it to the the, the, the pro level, you know, it, it's kind of like a, a microcosm of society, right? Like you have the upper one percent of superstars, like your Derek Jeter's, right? Your Ken mm-hmm. Griffey Jr.'s, they make the money. And the money they make sets the bar for like the second tier and the third tier and the fourth tier guy. But by the time you get down to the fourth tier, there really ain't much money left. So that's why you root for guys like Mike Trout to get the most money he can because it raises the bar so that the guy at the bottom gets a little bit more by the time the money gets to him. Mm. You know, mm. so it's it's a whole it's a whole process. It really yeah. is. Yeah. And and it's a cynical person would say, ah, what's the use? But you are going the opposite, uh, being the founder of the EEBA, finding a way to really develop that love for generations. Tell me more about that. What was the decision to launch EEBA and how does it work year to year, day to day, season to season? Okay. So piggybacking off the last question about like the minors and uh, earlier when we had talked, kind of touched on like, you know, the black player participation in the game, right? So... The reason why I, I decided to go forward with EEBA is because in the black community, um, a lot of kids do not have access to quality training, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, if you go around to a lot of like baseball facilities nowadays, and I'm sure this is probably the same thing out in California, a lot of instructors charge a lot of money for yep. like hitting lessons, pitching lessons. You could easily find yourself spending, you know, $90, $100 you know, for an hour of instruction, you could find yourself spending $80 for a half hour of instruction, right? So a lot of families can't afford that, believe it or not, especially when you're talking about, you know, we got multiple kids playing multiple sports, like lacrosse is expensive, soccer is expensive, hockey is expensive, baseball is expensive. So if you got one kid that plays baseball and one kid that plays lacrosse, that's tough. Right. You know what I'm saying? When you start factoring in training, equipment, and travel programs. Now, um, I'm sure it's the same again in California. Here in New York, there's a there's a there's an organization out here on Long Island. They charge seventy nine hundred dollars to play a season of travel ball. Wow. That's insane to me. That's yeah. absolutely insane. Especially me growing up in a time where playing travel ball, five hundred dollars. Yeah. It was five hundred dollars. You played the whole summer. You got fall league, everything, spring, summer, fall, $500. So, you know, that financial aspect of it was at the core of why I started the EEBA. Because what I was looking to do and what I'm looking to do is I'm looking to create a more level playing field where it can be more inclusive to to players who are interested, families who are interested, but they can't afford it and they get financially pushed out. Right. So once you get past that, Coming back to the training aspect of it, um, and there's, there's no other really way I can really say it other than to say it this way. Most most black children who watch baseball, right? Most of the successful images they're given of a baseball player, what a professional baseball player looks like, it's a white athlete. That's the yeah. reality, right? Mm-hmm. Like Mike Trout is the face of baseball right now. Okay. Right. So the trickling effect of that is that the person who trains my son. If he doesn't look like Mike Trout, he can't help my son. Mm. You see what I'm saying? 
Yeah. So the reality of that is a lot of trainers, they gravitate to players that they know are high-end players that they can market because they're trainers. They need to get more people to come in and train with them. So if I get a kid that has a really good swing, can maybe commit to a D1 school or even make it to the pro level, that gives me a lot more credibility as a trainer. So that's going to give me more money, right? So there it is. As a trainer, I'm in this for the money, not necessarily to help really develop players. So I bring that up because what happens is the kid that maybe might not be as talented, but if you worked with him or her, could develop, trainer doesn't want to work with that kid. Right. So now we got a situation where you got families who can't afford quality trainers because they're probably looking for kids that are, are a lot more polished, a little more developed. So it's like, what happens to these kids now? Now they don't have opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. So because now they don't have the opportunity, now, okay, I'm trying to get to college. And I know baseball can get me to college. But I haven't had proper training, so it's going to be hard for me to do that. Right. So now, in terms of fairness, how is that fair to a black kid in this community over here or a Latino kid in this community over here and all the opportunity is over there? And this other right. be here. It's not fair. So the reason why I started the EEBA was because one, I wanted to shine a light on players predominantly in black communities um, that are doing great things, but they're doing it in the dark. No one knows. So the intent behind it was to start bringing awareness, you know, to communities like Hempstead, where um, we're going to be setting up a baseball program beginning in March um, to let people see like, hey, black kids aren't running away from the game. They just lack the resources. And if we give them the resources, they're here. And yeah. if they're doing other things, they'll come back. Yeah. But the thing is, too, they got to know that it's a fair level playing field and that the opportunity is going to be there for them like it is for everybody else. So the whole intent, you know, with EVA is to provide college opportunities, help to provide college opportunities for student athletes in underserved communities. That's the, that's the reality of what we're trying to do. So it, the the narrative that baseball has become boring is, is not as true as it just being inaccessible to some people's communities. Right. Like, I, I, I'm so glad you said it because this is the reality of it. Baseball is not boring. And it's not that black players are gravitating to other sports. Um, and I had tweeted this out today. It really comes down to economics. And my belief is also where Major League Baseball, you know, decides to invest its money because they do invest a lot of money into academies in the Dominican Republic and other Caribbean, you know, Latin islands and places like that. And off the top of my head, I want to say there's like seven, seven urban youth academies here in the United States. I know you have one in California. Uh, I believe there's one in Philly. There's one in Washington. There's one in Louisiana. Uh, I want to say Ohio. And believe it or not, Puerto Rico. That right? makes sense. Yeah. And there's one other one that's not coming to me, but as soon as it does, I'll um I'll call it. But my attitude is I I believe that every major city where there's a major league team, there should be an urban youth academy in uh, just, cities. I have it here just for reference. Uh, uh Cincinnati Reds have one, Compton, Houston Astros, Kansas City Royals, uh New Orleans, Philadelphia Phillies, Texas Rangers, and the Washington Nationals. That's eight in total. Eight in total. And and I, I believe, I know I saw somewhere there's one in Puerto Rico as well. Okay. Um, so, you know, so that's not, that's nine. But either way, with every major league team that's in a major city, 
there should be an urban academy in every city where there's a major league organization, right? Yeah, like, soccer does that. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, like, you take the, like, Chicago, for example, they got the Cubs and the White Sox. There should be an urban youth academy in Chicago because they could really benefit from having that, you know, because now you know you're going to have coaches there that are really going to instruct and teach the game right and give the right information to these young kids that's trying to come through there and play. And that's how you get them to come out. I love it. I'm just looking at the different type of academies there. And I think the plan makes a lot of sense. Um, tell me about the name. So EEBA stands for Elite Edge Baseball Association. Uh, what was the process behind picking the name to really uh, put a ring around what you want to do, what you want to look to accomplish? So my best friend, who's really like my brother from another mother, um, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. <laughs> so I was, uh, we were on the phone talking one day and we were trying, I was trying to come up with a name and I went through like a whole bunch of names and he's like very, almost like a perfectionist. So he's like, no, that's not a good one. That's not a good one. And he's like, you know what? Let me see if I could help you. So like we started just literally going through the alphabet, like A through Z, right? And then we got to E and I like, I think I blurted out like elite. He was like, that might work. We got to yeah. see, see, let's, let's play with that. Right. So elite became elite edge. And then I was like, ah, I don't know. And he's like, well, you need something that is kind of like, you can use it for different things. Right. So it can be like elite edge track elite edge i was like okay i get it it's gotta be something catchy yeah he was like yo what about elite edge baseball i was like all right that might work that might <laughs> okay work. you know so then i started trying to find other names and really couldn't come up with anything that really i like so i was like you know what yeah elite edge baseball association i'm like yeah ring <laughs> okay I'm like yeah we got it there it is yeah, so, yeah. That was, that's how it came about so Man, that's dope, man. Having having uh, a network, a board of trustees <laughs> working on an idea. <laughs> that's what's up. What's uh, the process been like? It's not every day someone launches their own business, let alone something as specialized as this. I mean, were your stakeholders all about that? Were you going to convince people? What was the, the 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 whole notion of this idea? What was people thinking? So it's been it's been really it's been really tough, right? Um, but in a good way, because um, I got. I'm a believer, like whatever you ask for, you'll get the exact opposite so you can end up with the thing you asked for, right? Okay. So what I mean by that is like, if you ask for a success, if you ask for something like this to be successful, like life is gonna give you a ton of failure in the endeavor. Mm. Because through you'll learn how to make it successful, mm -hmm. right? If you ask for something like this uh, to be something that everybody's gonna wanna be a part of, life is going to give you a situation where no one wants to be a part of it because that's going to force you to figure out how do I get people to be interested in what we're trying to do? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's why I say like, whatever you, when, when you're doing something like this, whatever you ask for, you make the exact opposite. So now understand that it's been tough. Um, and I would say that the process though has been very rewarding because it's been tough, you know, because mm -hmm. with this, with something like this, you know, you're always mindful of, you know, you're dealing with a younger generation. So you want to make sure that you're giving them the right message, that you're providing something for them that's going to really help them and be useful and something that, you know, when when it's over, when you're gone, when I'm dead and gone. And that really that's my goal. Right. Like my goal is like 70 years from now. I'll never know it. But my hope is that I say something to somebody today and they pass it on to someone and they pass it on to someone and eventually it gets to somebody who will never meet me but got it from someone that I gave it to and they end up being successful because of it. Yeah. Mission accomplished. Yeah. Mission accomplished. So I always keep that in mind. 
And you know, like what I always say with anything that I post or whatever, I'll say always forward, never backward. Right. right. So it's like no matter what happens, just keep moving forward. You know, and I had I touched on this before too. Like when we go through a process like this, we are always fixated on the idea that if I do A, B, and C, I'm gonna get the results, right? So if I do A, B, and C, I'm gonna get D, E, and F. Mm-hmm. It doesn't always work like that, right? And what happens is when we do A, B, and C and don't get D, E, and F, we get frustrated. It's like, why am I doing this? Instead of thinking, well, let me just keep doing the work, right? right? Because the person that I become through this process is more important than what I achieve. Right. So from that from that perspective, in dealing with this younger generation, the way I look at it is the people that they become through this, through EEBA and this whole process, it's more important than what they achieve. Because yeah. most of them are probably not going to make it to the pros, but a lot of them, all of them can go to college and get a college experience. And the person that they, the people that they become because of that, it's more important than whether or not they actually make it to the pros or not. I mean, I'm looking at these pictures now at uh, eebainc.org, and uh, you got some kids looking and listening, understanding having the best version of themselves. We're looking over the next year, year and a half, two years. Do you have those kind of long-term goals, or is it kind of like season per season? What's the strategy looking forward, and what do you have planned? So the long-term vision is to uh, you know, get it to a point where the EBA can reach out into communities that are not getting the services in terms of like, you know, the right training, uh, you know, the proper network of people to come in and provide the right facilities and things like that and really build baseball programs with an educational foundation rooted in them, right? Mm-hmm. So over the next uh, couple of years, the next, if I would say the next three to five years, what I'm looking to do with EBA is get it to a point where we're getting kids into, um, you know, tutoring programs uh, as well as doing the baseball. And because what happens is like at especially like ages like four to six, a lot of children, they struggle with reading and writing. Right. So I want to put and already, we already have it set up uh, through Sylvan Learning Center here in Long Island out in Mineola. And we're working with we're working on a couple of other educational partnerships that will help out as well where we'll be able to provide, you know, reading, writing, math, ACT, SAT, test prep services for the kids that we're working with. So that way, academically, we can raise the bar for them, too, because mm-hmm. the academic side of it is more important than the baseball side of it, to be honest. Right, right, right. So, you know, what I want to do over the next three to five years is really, you know, set a solid foundation for these kids educationally and just use baseball more as a vehicle you know, to open up certain experiences, but stress the importance of education and and build, you know, a lot of well-rounded young men and women. What about someone like myself? Because I'm making it all about me now. Like somebody who doesn't have the wherewithal has launched their own baseball organization, but loves the sport, wants the other generation to appreciate the sport. What can I do to help out the, the spread the good word there, so to speak? So if for me, what I would say, like being in your position, right? So stuff like this, like bringing on, you know, baseball coaches, right? Who, you know, on one end of it, look like the children we're trying to help. That helps. Mm-hmm. You don't really see a lot of black coaches, mm-hmm. you know, out here um, doing things like this. So, you know, to get families and younger players to see that they're, you know, they're, they're black coaches that know and have the right information, they're willing to help, they want to help and getting us out there using your platform to help us get out there 
That's one way you can help. Um, another thing you can do is just you know, like in your in your community, right? Like me and uh, my brother Jason, we were talking about this. You can bring young kids on your show and and talk to them about their experiences as baseball players, right? right? What is it like being What is it like being 12 years old and you know playing baseball for the little league and you know being one of the better players or wherever they fall on on, on the talent range? What is that like? You know, and 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 let other children hear the experience come from someone in their age group as mm-hmm. well. Because mm-hmm. um, that's something I was thinking about doing up here as well, is just like bringing players on and just letting them talk about their experience, right? Yeah. Um, so you can do that. Uh, like, it, it's a ton of stuff, man. You know, yeah. it's, and I, and I think where your platform is important, like you can really help with like raising the awareness, you know, and, you know, putting, putting certain, you know, facilities out there and organizations out there different resources and things like that out there and um that like that's the biggest help you can give you can do to, to the younger the next generation yeah, yeah absolutely and, and and i know we're not just one thing around a monolith but what, what does coach chris do on a day off what does he do to the recharge are you are you get massages <laughs> are you walking to park brother what, what do you do <laughs> honestly for the most part i'm if i'm not doing anything i'm in the gym trying okay. to shake right um if i'm not doing that then i'm probably with my older son out, you know, doing some baseball stuff or I'm watching my younger son paint and draw. He's an artist. Okay. Um, or my daughter, she ice skates. So, you know, I'm, I'm doing something, one of the three of them. Like the most I'm doing for myself on a day off is probably going to the gym and sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's up. <laughs> I, I told myself that I was trying to lean into the sport a little bit more myself because I do feel this is why I have I like having individuals like yourself on the shows that as I got older, I feel like, hey, I'm kind of on this island. And I know it's kind of in my own head because the more I'm talking to people, the more I realize, hey, there's a lot of people I like it. But I'm trying to teach myself how to score a game old school with a little with a little grid thing. And I, I feel like like I'm, I'm part of Americana. You know what I'm saying? I feel like I'm just part of part of the whole vibes. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, that's something else you could do, too. Like, you know, because that's a that, that's a lost art. Like when I was coming up. We used to keep the school as a player. We used to keep the scorebook. That's how I learned how to score a game. Yeah. So that's another thing you could do too. Like you could, you could grab kids and like you know what? Let's figure out how to score a game together. Yeah. You know, and that way, both of you like you could probably run into a kid that knows how to do it, and he or she. (laughs) You know, so that's it's. it's, I'm telling you, man. There's so much stuff for people that really want to be involved with baseball that 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 everyone can do. This game is is a space in it for everybody. I'm sure there's an app for that. Uh, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, Obviously, there is. If you want, you can download. It's an app called iScore. Oh, for real? <laughs> Damn, I'm sorry. I didn't even know. All right. It's free. It's a free app. You That's what's up. <laughs> so so we've got the season coming up i i know um there is a little bit of uh prospecting when when kids are not sure about what path they want to take and now at an age we can try different sports at once what's been your approach should a kid try four or five different sports should they have two sports they are leaning into simultaneously should they focus on a single sport as they get and as they develop so as it relates to baseball so here's the thing with baseball baseball the most athletic people tend to be the best baseball players. Okay. So in saying that, the better baseball players are those players who tend to have a little bit of background in basketball, a little bit of background in football, because there's just different skill sets that you learn in those sports that you don't learn necessarily in baseball, right? So I think early on, yeah, you know, 
play as many sports as you can because what it really is about it's about developing body control right so by playing multiple sports you develop a sense of how your body moves and how you can twist it and, and do different things that when you do get on the baseball field and the sport it's really not demanding you to make certain movements the movements that it's asking you to make they're that much easier for you to do right so early on yeah like play as many sports as possible boxing everything track mm -hmm. all. Mm -hmm. but as you get older you know as you start getting maybe about like your freshman year in high school somewhere around there you got to kind of figure out all right what do i want to do right. right so like what's going to be my bread and butter what's my go-to if it's baseball then yeah now because by the time you get to like 14 15 you should have a well-rounded athletic background you just start to pay more attention and focus goes into the baseball stuff so it's not to say you, you got to stop playing every other sport because, you know, you can still play basketball for the school, run track for the school and stuff like that. But, yeah. you know, baseball is your thing. Yeah. So and I guess to, to that point, it's just like when you, you know, have, you know, a baseball game, but you got a basketball game to go to. If baseball is your thing, choose baseball over basketball. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I got one more question for you. I, I know you're a coach, so you'd be winning all the time, right? You'd be winning all a hundred. Bad a thousand. Um. What what is your what is your favorite celebratory meal? I'm just curious. You feel like a king. Got the the bank accounts fill. Where would you go to celebrate? My favorite, my celebratory meal. Yeah, That's and don't tell me peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Cause I don't believe that. Buffalo <laughs> wild wings. Okay, B dubs. I love that. <laughs> I'm going buffalo wild wings. <laughs> Yo, respect, man. I, when I was a kid, I did karate, and it was definitely like, uh, let's get a good nice Sicilian square pieces somewhere around the corner. That was that was yeah, a celebratory. Yeah. So I'm I'm a little I'm a civil guy. Like stuff like Buffalo Wild Wings, quick little Sicilian something. Like, that's that's my celebratory meal right there. Yo, I appreciate that, man, Coach Chris. Thank you so much for being on the show. New Amsterdam Radio, the podcast for creators. Now the time you put yourself over, brother. So I want to interact with you or your organization, EEBA. How to go about doing that? So you can follow us on Instagram at EEBA Baseball. We have a Facebook page, same handle at EEBA Baseball. Uh, you can follow myself and EEBA on Twitter. Uh, on Twitter, it's uh, at Chrisway7. Uh, Twitter for EEBA is at EEBA Baseball. Um, we have the website, www.eebainc.org. Um, there's a lot of information up there where you can follow us. Um, yeah, and, you, and just you know, keep track with everything through social media, and then you can come out and support us. You know, at different events that we'll be doing throughout the year. Um, as I mentioned earlier, starting in March, which I'm very excited and happy about, we're going to be you know starting to, to build a baseball program out in the community of Hempstead out here on Long Island. So that's one of the communities that I was really uh, looking forward to getting into because there's no baseball in terms of little league or PAL program out there. Mm -hmm. so to be able to bring that to that community, it's it's like a big, it's a big, you know, passion project for me, and I'm looking forward to it. So we'll be out in Hempstead if you're looking for it. <laughs> and those listening from all over the world, United States, Canada, uh, EEBA is a registered 501c3 nonprofit. You can donate today at eebainc.org. Chris, thank you so much for being on the show, man. I want you back later on to see how it's grown, man. It's been a lot of fun. Absolutely, man. Anytime, just let me know, man. I'd love to be on. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> this is Thanks so much for listening to New Amsterdam Radio. Learn more about the show at newamsterdam.com. That's K-N-E-W Amsterdam.com. Until next time, 
This city is yours. 